Welcome everybody back to Who's Your Band. Uh, I am Jeffrey Paul. I am joined in this car by Sean Morton. How yeah. are you, Sean? I, I am mobile today. I'm fantastic. Okay, well, it's good to have you, you here. Know, I, I could have been mobile. I could have. I could have done this mobile. I should have did that. I. It's always good to break the law and drive around and do these things because then I feel more like a rebel. Because the older I get, the I don't do very many dangerous things, so I like to do that. <laughs> I live on the edge. Folks, that is the voice of our guest today. Um, this guy is, he is one of the most important singers in the last 20, 25 years in music. He's been a member of multiple bands, and it's our pleasure to welcome in Tim Ripper Owens. How are you, Tim? Hey, it's great to be on here, and what a what a great show for me to, for me to be on something called Who's Your Band? Is that what it's called? <laughs> It's called yeah. Who's Your Band, yes. Yeah, because I don't even, day to day, I'm in a different band. It's I got like 8,000 of them. So this is, it's almost like I invented this show. It's tr That's true. And we're going we're gonna to talk to you about music. But the first thing I really got to ask you, you know, I think everyone, how the hell did you get on Bar Rescue? Well, you know, it's funny because they just called us one day. It's a really funny thing because the show's really not real. Uh and, and one day we just got a call and, and they said, hey, we are in Youngstown and we are wondering if obviously they got a call because it was, you know, a, a bar venue restaurant with my name on it. So it's a good publicity thing. And that's why they did it. We had there was no reason for us to be on there. And we didn't call them. They made it look like that's what seemed funny. Like you actually look like in the show, like you call them and say, we need help, you know, and uh, really nice, though, John. John was a great guy. He's an old, old musician. He sat and talked. It's like funny. The camera goes off and he's like, Hey, Ripper, I used to play drums. I'm a, I play drums. I used to manage the troubadour when I was younger. And then the camera goes wow. on. He goes, you suck. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> uh, you know, they make you do things over and over again. You walk in and out of a room like five times until they get the shot. Right. I mean, it's, it's not real. Our, our, restaurant was pretty boring for them because we don't let our we didn't let our employees drink but I, listen what they did to the place was fantastic you know we eventually sold it because i toured the world 75 percent of the time you know and, and my partner was a owns a landscaping company that was that's really big and he, we both were like man we don't have the time for this anymore you know but it was it's a fake show um there's probably some some places that is a little more real maybe they they got plenty of stuff to work with us they they just, you know, they do it for three days. Yeah, they just called us, man. They just called us and said, are you interested? And we're like, yeah, what the heck? You know, free publicity. Yeah. yeah, yeah the, great, the, great thing about, the great thing about that show is if you're home at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday or it's like three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, it's always on. It's always on. And it's and it's funny with us. I mean, they they painted me in a pretty good picture. Yeah. Uh, and they painted my partner in not so good, which was which was totally off but they also um you know made it what they do is they just make the like they make the kitchen look dirty which listen we got health inspections non-stop you know it was it was not a dirty kitchen at all but they're like ripping wires out behind the wall going look at the dirt on this thing i'm like it's in the wall i mean we didn't we couldn't say that on camera or they're or they're going to a, a, a frying pan look at how this thing is black i'm like well that's because it's what it's supposed to be it's a seasoned pan we can't clean the seasoning off of you know it's like everything gets washed right when it's done it's just kind of fun. that was the only thing uh that i hated because you know we never failed a health inspection or or I, after that show 
the health department came in and, and made us change light bulbs and everything, man. The fire department came in and made us put door handles on the other side. It was really funny because it made them look bad, but uh, that was the only thing they made up. But yeah, it's on all the time. And uh, it was, it was cool. It was a good experience. Yeah. I ran into your partner. He actually came to see me at the uh, funny stop in Cuyahoga Falls. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so let's start talking a little bit of music and let's start talking about like your early career. So you were like originally in uh, Winter's Bane, right? Um, yeah. And I thought this was kind of like an interesting thing. When you guys like were looking to get signed, because Winter's Bane wasn't a signed band yet, but you were having um, success with your Judas Priest tribute band. So you had your original band open up for the Judas Priest tribute band, which was all the same members, correct? Um, yeah, you know, at the time, Judas Priest wasn't together. Heavy metal was really bad, man. This was 1995, uh, 94, and metal was really bad. Or 93, so probably. Grunge scene. Yeah, that, you know, I mean, hair metal, obviously, the hair metal ballads killed it. I mean, you can only sing Every Rose Had Storn so many times. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when, when men's, you know, anyways... Yes. I mean, grunge might have been more heavy metal, but it did. It, it, every, the scene was gone, man. It was gone. You had Pantera and Metallica. But uh, so we couldn't really go out and do anything as Winter's Bane. We just signed a record deal and recorded it. And uh, this this agent in Columbus said, hey, you should do a Judas Priest tribute band. You know, you can go out and make more money. You can tour as your, as your own band and, and then, you know, do that. So that's what we did. And we only did it for about a year. It actually Winter's Bane split up probably because of that. And then I did that a little bit longer. And then, you know, so I only did that for a year. I was actually in a Seattle tribute band when Judas Priest called Go Figure. But that's so crazy. I mean, like, how, how much of a strain was it on your voice and for the drummer who works really hard where you're doing a full set as the opening act, going backstage, changing your clothes, and then coming out and doing a full set as, a, you know, as a, as a headliner band? Well, a lot of people back then were used to getting up on stage and playing three or four sets of music at night anyways. I mean, that was kind of the thing back in the day. But, you know, listen, it's there's some tough Judas Priest songs, but for a drummer, it's not as bad. I mean, unless you're doing from the Scott Travis era on. I mean, there, you know, if you're doing Exciters, luckily you got to do stuff from British Steel and things like that. So you got some good, you got everything Cummins and things like that. So you got some good breaks. It's not you know, speed metal drumming and craziness, you know, the winner's Bane drumming was probably a little bit tougher. Um, but it, you know, I mean, it's, it was tough for everybody. Vocally, it was definitely tough because you had to be on your game all night. The winner's Bane stuff uh, was more challenging because I, I had written it to, to the top of my ability. So it was pretty challenging stuff, but luckily I got that out of the way first. I was a lot younger too. We were all a lot younger then. So, you know, I, I don't, I couldn't do it now, uh, but I could do it then, you know, I mean, it was, uh, now it's hard enough to just stay awake during the set. <laughs> so you you wind up getting the phone call from Judas Priest. Okay, they they fly out. You know, you, you didn't believe it was actually them when you finally get there. What songs or songs did you have to do to audition? Did you pick the songs or did they pick the song? They did. It was really crazy. You know, I uh, <laughs> I walked in. I, I get I fly there. I mean, Were you by just, yourself. I didn't by myself and I didn't have they said I probably wouldn't have to sing so listen I didn't sing a Judas Priest song for over a year right and they said we want to come meet you we heard the tape uh we saw the video 
we just want to meet with you and stuff. Well, then I get there. So, you know, usually if people go to audition for a band, they, they, they work at it, right? I mean, they, they sit at home and practice and get ready for exactly. the audition. Well, I didn't even know. So I get there, I fly to England. I drive like two hours or something to go to Wales at the studio or I get picked up and they drive me there. And when I get out of the car, I hear music in the background. I'm like, holy shit, man, that's Judas Priest. And uh, I walked in and there's Ian Hill sitting at the breakfast table in this kitchen. And I was like, oh man, this is crazy, you know, because these guys were, were my favorite band in the 80s. You know, that was all I listened to. And so I walk into in the studio, KK sleeping and, and still, it's finally, it's an early afternoon. And uh, there's Glenn sitting down playing the guitar and Scott's jamming on the drums. And I'm like, man, this is, this is unbelievable. They said, listen, go, we're going to hang out. We'll get some dinner go to bed tonight. Tomorrow you can sing. And I was like, well, first I was just like, are you kidding me? You know, and when I quit the, when I quit the Judas Priest band, I actually quit the tribute band because I wasn't singing very good. So, I mean, it was a year later, so I had it back, but, and, and I looked at them and I said, there's no way uh, I'm going to be able to sleep tonight. You know, this is absolutely crazy. So I said, how about we just do it now? You know, let's just, I'll audition now. And that's what happened. And they went in into the studio and behind the control room, I was out front with a mic. They took an old version of Victim of Changes, took Rob's vocals out. It was a live version. And then I sang to it. So they thought they were going to stump me with picking Victim of Changes, picking this supposedly hard tune. But for my advantage, it was my favorite tune that I sang in the cover bands when I when I came up and I could really sing it good. So that was the one they put on. I sang the first line of the song, Whiskey Woman, Don't You Go Drive Me Insane. Same. When, I hit the same. when I hit that note, they said, you got the gig, Ripper. You didn't like, even have to finish the song. Well, I actually ended up having to. He said, okay, finish the song. And I thought to myself, this is going to be bad because I'm going to make the song within 15 seconds and then I'm going to be kicked out of the band because I'm going to finish it and end up sounding like shit. So <laughs> I was like, uh, no, but I ended the song. I went in the control room and I said, you got the gig, you know, you, you, you're the real deal. Were they considering any other singers? Uh, you know, they, they looked throughout the years, but they never tried anybody else out. You know, they, they never mentioned it. There's never any proof. And I, I hear different people. Now I know Ralph Sheepers was, was going to be, uh, was talked to by him or was hoping to get, be in there. But the band, basically said, listen, we never really had anybody in the running. We never tried anybody else out. I have people e email me or message on my Facebook. Like, yeah, my buddy uh, was, he tried out for him. I'm like, yeah, there's nobody that tried out for him, you know, but <laughs> uh, uh, Ralph would have been a fantastic choice. He's such a great, a good friend of mine. And he's such a great singer. Uh, he's probably more, he's definitely more like Rob Halford than I am. Um, so I think maybe that was also a little bit different why they got me, but yeah, they just, I was good timing, lucky break, and they flew me over, and that was it. Who was the first person that you called? The first, well, I tell you, I told my parents. I I wasn't allowed to tell anybody when I got home. Uh, I tried out in in uh, February, like February sixth, the beginning of February of of ninety six, and uh, I I got before I left. I had the the whole band signed a piece of paper, autographed a piece of paper, and then I autographed this piece piece of paper and i said dreams do come true uh mom and dad dreams do come true and then when i got in the car 
when they picked me up at the airport, I said, hey, look, I got the band's autograph. And they looked at it, my mom's like, oh, maybe someday. And I said, no, mom, I'm a singer. <laughs> so that was, you know. <laughs> and, she's like, yeah. and then my dad looked at me and said, oh, my God, you finally got a job. That's awesome. <laughs> How is it like living in your head? Like you, you fly it, you're by yourself, you know, are you nervous? Are you excited? And then like, when you hear the words, Hey man, you got the gig. When you tell that story, you know, I'm like, I get chills here, you know, feeling that because that's, I mean, that, that is a dream. That is, that is what they make a movie about. And they did. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was surreal. And, you know, I, I think the thing that happened is, we, they treated me so great and we became such good friends and it was like a family vibe. Uh, you know, these were the guys, Glenn K. Kane, Rob, when I was in high school, that was the posters on my wall. You know, the one point there's nobody else on my wall, but Judas priest in my bedroom, you know? Uh, now remember this was in the eighties. I don't want someone to think that I was, you know, 28 years old with Judas priest posters on my wall. <laughs> this is when I was in high school. And so it was, you know, I always say the strangest thing about this was uh, I lost my idols. I lost my, these guys were untouchable. They were my idols. I, you know, was amazed. And that became, so it's kind of weird that you, you become family and friends with them like that, you know, so that you look at them different, but they made me feel such, so at home that it was a different feeling. You know, I mean, I, I felt like I can't remember the exact feeling I felt going over there you know i really can't remember it i remember going on stage the first time and feeling pretty damn confident that uh that i you can a confident guy to begin with uh i'm uh i used to be a little more confident because vocally i, I was untouchable at times i felt you know uh i could sing any style of music there is whether it's pantera sepultura uh you know deep purple whatever kind of stuff ronnie deal i kind of my voice sound garden, it kind of adapts. So I always felt comfortable. It's a little harder now because I'm always worried. I'm older. So I worried that my voice could, could do it, but I was never over overconfident enough that I was always learning. You know what I mean? I was always, I'm always, I still am. I learn off of anybody and watch everybody and try to do it. But I was pretty confident in my vocal ability. Uh, I was pretty confident that I would watch and learn and, and figure out how to do it and what the fans would want. So, but I, I don't know. I mean, I walked into that, uh, you know, knowing that this is going to be an, an impossible task. And the only thing is, is to sing as good as I possibly can. So that's, that's all I could do. How, how long did it take you to actually like feel like you're an equal member of the band where you can tell Glenn or KK, Hey, you know, don't do it that way. Do it this way without feeling like you're stepping on toes or, or maybe this wasn't your place. Well, I mean, I don't know if I'd ever really do that as much just because it was Judas Priest. I mean, these guys have done it for so long. I always looked at, I always gave them the respect of who they were. I mean, I, I, who am I to tell them at times? But, you know, listen, if there was, some, there was a really funny thing. When we first started rehearsing, they would, we would rehearse. This is hilarious. They would, I remember Glenn and Ken or whatever, they'd go, hey, Tim, is this right? Because they haven't played songs in so long, and I knew that I probably knew them. They would be like, "Is that part right? Are we doing that right?" <laughs> it, it was really funny. Um, but I just I went with the flow on on you know I know I got in some 
you know, talks with them about what I should wear and stuff towards the very end. Of course, then I was fired right after that. But I would talk to them about, I don't know if I don't want to wear that jacket. That's not my, that's not my thing. You know, I got to be me. But they were, they treated me so good. There was, you know, everything felt natural. So if I really had to say something, I could say it without feeling like I was stepping on toes. But on purpose, I would sit back and just be like, I'm, I'll I'll let these guys call the shots. You know, I mean, they, they got here for a reason. You know, I got to learn. I sat back and learned from them. Let's put it that way. I sat back and what they did, whether I thought it was right or wrong, if they did something I thought was wrong, I would learn. I don't know if that was the right move. Turning down Ozfest, uh, turning down, you know, touring with Maiden, just little things at the time I thought was might have been some bad moves. But I learned 99.9% of the things I learned off of them was, you know, good and positive and helped me out in my career. How, how big of an adjustment was it for you to go from playing, like playing clubs and bars to, you know, like Judas Priest still in the nineties was still a really big band. They were still an arena band. Well, they kind of were, I mean, nobody was an arena band in the, in the mid, you know, 97 when I started touring metal was terrible, man. I mean, it was, you know, bands like, like Testament and, and, you know, uh, you know, all the hair metal bands were pretty much gone. Rat. They weren't even playing bands that I love, like Death Angel. None of them test. You know, they weren't playing hardly. Uh, bands. If you weren't Metallica or Pantera, you were playing. You know, uh, House of Blues or or rock, big rock clubs or theaters of some sort. Um, mm. But it, but it, Judas Priest was one of the biggest bands in the world. So even playing smaller places compared to what they played in the eighties. I mean, they still don't play this, the same crowds as they did in the 80s, right? I mean, Maiden does, but but Priest doesn't. And well, I, I mean, think they still the, play. I think part of the reason for that, Tim, is because Maiden still has a lot of original members. When you look at Priest, I man, I went to, I saw them when they were kind of co headlining with uh, Deep Purple. And I think the only original, well, original or known member of the classic lineup was Rob. It wasn't even Glenn and KK weren't there either. Yeah, but I I also think uh, it's two different types. You know, to me, Maiden is like kind of the Grateful Dead of music where also they just bring people in who don't even know the songs. You know (laughs) what I mean? Because of their merchandising. You know, some people just uh, not. I mean, listen, I'm a big I'm not saying not because of the music, but they also bring people in because, you know, you'll see people wearing Iron Maiden shirts that couldn't name a song. But Uh, it looks cool. and, and, And also Maiden. It's it's so awesome with them because here's a band that it doesn't have hit songs on the radio, right? I right. mean, and then there's Judas Priest who has, you know, four or so hit songs that were on the radio. Um, but they're you know they're both you know Judas Priest is the the pioneers of it, man. I mean, it's still they can live forever, you know, and it's so great to still have Priest no matter what the lineup is. I mean, I would go see it. Steve Priest right now. Richie's a fantastic player. You know, you got Scott and Ian and Rob and uh, they became a, because of their merchandising, because of their management became a cult like thing. You know, they also became a cult like thing. It's, you know, if you watch bands, listen, it's like when I was in Ice Earth, Ice Earth sold triple the merchandise Judas Priest did when I toured with them. 
It was the craziest thing I've ever seen because they went to the old school version of what Maiden did. They made these shirts with this logo and, and it was great artwork and it was kind of crazy. They sold merchandise like crazy. I couldn't believe it. And, uh, you know, that's, I think that's kind of the difference. Uh, and also you got to remember priest changed with every record. They changed their style with every record. A real Judas priest fan loves that. Uh, some fans would only be around for a record or two and they're like, okay, we're going to kind of, I love, I love Turbo, but I don't like Painkiller or stuff like that, you know. And uh, you I don't like Painkiller? No, I did. I'm saying what other people say. Oh, I was gonna say because that's like that's my oh, favorite no, no. priest song. No, I would re- I would reverse that what I just said if it was me, because <laughs> uh, I'm no Turbo lover. I'll tell you that much. Uh, I know, but you know what? Did, did you like Did you like uh, heading out to the highway? I did. Yeah, I thought that was a good song too. I thought um, actually, I like all Judas Priest records. And uh, I love Point of Entry. You know, that was one that got a lot of flack, you know, because it came it came after British Steel. British Steel, listen, British Steel had two high notes on the whole record. It was just meat and potatoes record, rhythms and drums and catchy songs. Here comes, you know, kind of ballsy. And here comes Point of Entry. That's this melodic kind of heavy metal record, which is a fantastic record. Um, another question. Um, how close was the audition scene uh, in Rockstar to actually happening in real life. You know, there is similarities to that, you know, they're behind the glass. I think I, I, I saw the movie once, so I can't really remember parts of it. Um, if they would have paid me, I would have watched it more, but, um, they never consulted was, you or anything on this. No, they, that's what happened is originally it was going to be called metal gods. They took the story from a New York times article about me and they were going to make this movie. But then the band didn't like how they were being portrayed in the movie, which a lot of it was similar. One guy ran the band and so on and so on. But they didn't like it. And I totally agreed that they said we need some kind of creativity here. You know, we were going to have some music in and everything. We need some kind of creativity here. And the, and Warner Brothers said, no, you can have no say at all. So the band said, well, then we're, we're out of here. You know, you're not using our name our songs and it's, you know, so they made the movie loosely based so they didn't have to pay us. And, but that scene, if I remember right, I think he's saying the band was behind the, he uh, was in the studio and the singer was out front singing. And that's pretty much how it happened. And, uh, you know, I'm going to have to watch it again. My kids are, my daughter just said the other day, Hey dad, uh, her boyfriend, my boyfriend just said, Eric just said that there's a movie about you and i'm like how do you not know you're 16 years old how do you not know there's not a movie about me? and yeah, come uh, on, Mark I, I said listen it's i thought she was talking about boogie nights but then she was talking about um rock star and it's the only time her dad's ever had abs so just i tell her to enjoy the moment <laughs> okay so this is what this is a question from one of our listeners and uh he asks how did you hook up with richard chris with richard christie and how good of a drummer is Richard? Well, Richard was in Iced Earth. I mean, he was in Rich when I. That's right. Richard was in Iced Earth, and uh, we recorded the the uh, Glorious Burden. And then during the tour, <laughs> we, first of all, we'd be on the bus, and there was a golf game on the bus. Now it couldn't have been the best golf game, but it was probably like this Tiger Woods game or something. And it was I would love playing. Well, Richard would play it and let the guy hit the ball into the woods and go. <laughs> <laughs> he did there. 
And then, because the guy would make this funny movement, tear off again. And he hit the woods. <laughs> and that's all he would do. It was the funniest thing ever. Uh, but then in the middle of a tour, we were getting ready to go to Japan. And Richard said, hey, I'm going to go audition for Howard Stern. Uh, they're, they're auditioning people. And so we had to get a new drummer in the middle of the tour. I understood it. I think, I think that the guys in the band understood it. And um, he, he suggested a, a drummer and uh, Bobby Drazombek, which is amazing. And then we became friends. He's an amazing drummer. Richard is, you know, blast beats and, and that kind of, he's crazy fast and a great drummer, a great musician, a great songwriter and a super, super great guy. I mean, he is so, so such a nice dude. My, my girlfriend's a paramedic and she went to New York when the pandemic first hit worked for two months as a paramedic doing 911 calls and was, and it was the craziness and Richard sent out catering from a barbecue place for 60 people out to where she was working at. And, you know, I, I have good friends. Another one, uh, uh, Rob Festa, who's a retired New York policeman, did the same thing. He sent pizza. But Richard is um, is is a fantastic, fantastic guy and a great, great musician. And he, wears, favorite, and he wears diapers to concerts. I, I, so, I, mean, I, dude, he I was just about to say that. My favorite Richard Christie story is uh, like he'll go see a band and he wears, he wears a diaper so he doesn't have to miss a song. And he's like, you know, it's good for at least three Ps, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, so currently, man, um, you're, you're, you, and you, listen, you, we, we said at the top of the show, you, you've been in, you know, and still in several different bands, but, uh, the one that I'm very excited about is you're in, uh, KK's Priest. And for, first of all, the, the song Raise Your Fists is, I mean, I'm so glad that, th- that that song is recorded and it's out in 2021 that like that like music like that is still good and exciting and, and it's great. That's a, that's going to be the song you guys are going to open with when you tour, right? Uh, maybe, but uh, Hellfire Thunderbolt's an awful great opener, man. That that first song we released. I Listen, I, I, I agree with you. Songs like Raise Your Fist and Brothers of the Road the last two we released are, are total songs for concerts, man. They're summertime songs. Raise your fists, sing along, let's have some fun. Uh, and Brothers of the Road, you know, we rocked. You know, these are songs, those songs were written for fans and for the people at concerts. Uh, I could I could definitely see the opening with Raise Your Fist. I could definitely see it, you know. It's so so good you're so good on it um I, I was i was like so excited like 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 hearing it like and you know just like like i said yeah you know, i i hate a lot of like music that's out now i'm i'm also from the same era as you you know my favorite bands have always been priest and maiden sabbath you know uh rainbow i love these bands yeah and then like you see like and then like you see like fucking imagine dragons and I, I i i just i just don't like it and then when you hear like like, like your song come out and the, you know the music that you're doing with tremors and and kk's priest man it is really amazing it's really great stuff um how did the whole kk's uh priest uh thing come about uh ken and i he called me and said listen i'm gonna be doing a show this is in 2019 november with david elson david elson was uh, playing KK's venue, and he said to De- he said to Ken, "Hey, you want to come up with us and do a joint, a, a, a jam?" 
now Ken's place is it's an old warehouse, the steel mill. It's big. It's a big, it's a big rock club, rock venue, not club. It's giant. Thousands of people. And then Ken's like, yeah. And then I think, you know, I'm friends with David as well. And David's like, we should try and get Ripper. And then they had a friend that said, let's get him. Uh, I'll pay for him to fly here. And uh, so we did it. We did those songs, you know, Ken said he's never played beyond, before the dawn on stage ever. So he, we, we play before the dawn and we do take on the world and we, and we do, you know, burning the hell and one-on-one or hell's home. And, you know, I think he really got before that he did a show with Ross, the boss at bloodstock. So I think he had the, the he had it. He, you know, then the offers start coming in for us to play gigs after that show. But I think Ken was waiting to uh, see about the 50th Judas Priest tour. I think, you know, I, I myself as well would think that Ken would be involved with that. I know he wrote the book. They said the things, whatever. But I mean, he's if you're doing a 50th anniversary tour, I'm not sure why KK wouldn't be doing it. Actually, I'm not sure why I wouldn't be doing a couple songs at it. Um, but I definitely don't understand why Ken wasn't. When Ken found out he wasn't going to do it uh, for sure. 100% certain. I think he's like, all right, I got some songs. I'm putting out a record. He called me and said, Hey, you want to, you want to do this? And I think they had to find out with me because I'm so damn busy. You know, I have a three tremors. I tour the world solo 75% of the year. I'm on the world touring the world solo. And, uh, you know, a new revenge I have out there. I wrote release spirits of fire. So I'm pretty busy, but I said, absolutely. You know, I will, uh, I will move everything aside and get ready for, for uh, KK's priest. Did you write any of the songs on the uh, album? I didn't. He had already had it written, but the the great thing is, is he had written the songs for me. You know, so that there's the difference of when people write records uh, and they don't think of who's singing them. You know, luckily when I I sing on people's songs all the time, every day I'm in my studio singing um, music for people around the world, a song. So I love it because it's a challenge when it's not written for me and it's always awesome. But he had written with me in mind, AJ, the guitar player, he laid some vocal tracks down, uh, some guide vocals, which AJ is really good. Man. <laughs> that dude can sing. I told him, I told Ken, you got a head, wait, you got some young kids singing vocal parts now for me, for the old man to come in and try to do. Um, but it was, it was written for me. So the next record, you know, we'll, I'll have a lot more say and, and do some stuff, but you know, this one was, I mean, he was, he was gang, gangbusters, working gangbusters, man. He was going, you know, working hard on these tunes. And is there, um, I, listen, with, with the uncertainty, what's going on in the world right now, is there uh, plans for a tour? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're trying. It's hard when you're in a new band like this to do it. I think probably won't be till 2022. We'll probably have some kind of... Uh, uh, something like a lighting beat beaker that's in our butt that we show somebody that we don't have COVID or something. I mean, I don't know what we're going to have to show. We're probably going to have to, you know, pee in cups and give blood and, and do whatever we have to. I mean, back, obviously the vaccinations aren't working. So I don't know what the hell we're going to do. Um, but, uh, we're going to wait till it's right. We're planning it right. You know, I think the goal with this one is to get on a tour. We'd like to get on with major, major tours and, and do some guys be okay as a support act. Well, you know, it's gotta be somebody, right. You know, uh, big act. Like who? 
uh, who, anybody that tours solo that draws a lot of people, you know, I mean, you think <laughs> of bands that do it with made the Metallica and, and whatever. I mean, anybody out there that would be, uh, that can make a good pa- or a package tour basically as well. That, that's what I, mean, I was listen, thinking. Yeah. I mean, so we have to make sure it's right. Here's the issue. We're not playing small places. That's why a package tour or, you know, supporting big acts or co-headlining with big acts. But when you get these super big acts, I mean, it's worth going out as a new band. And because we're not a project, we're a band and doing it, you know. Um, so, I, you know, whatever it takes, but we're not going to go on small stages. I mean, KK's like, I'm, you know, I'm not doing, I'm, I'm at the end of my career. I mean, we're, I ha- it has to be big shows, big production, big stuff, big tours, and or, you know, we won't tour. You know, um, there's been a lot of talk about Motley not being able to maybe do the stadium tour uh, next year. Would that be something that you guys would consider if asked? Well, I think the management's taken uh, all the considerations and label. I mean, they're going to take everything. I mean, we get we we are probably getting calls right now from people to play their bar mitzvahs to to play. You know what I mean? It's kind of the whole gambit, what we get. Hey, I, hey, I really like that new song. Can you play my son's birthday party? So um, we, uh, you know, we're getting all this, you know, the plan was to be torn by now already, you know, uh, mm. even with, even with, with COVID, I think we wanted to be on the road coming up now. Um, but obviously it's just hard to put it together when you're trying to do bigger stuff as a new band. So, but uh, that, listen, the whole thing is to do as much as possible. We're going to tour. We're going to put another record out. We're going to do everything we can. Yeah. When, when you started recording sermons of the center, um, you started that prior to the pandemic. What were some of the challenges and obstacles like to finish the record uh, during a pandemic? Well, the does ch- that get you out of sync? No, the challenges was, uh, KK kept changing it afterwards because he had time to live with it. Here's the thing. We finished it before <laughs> I, I flew home. At, uh, the, you know, like, I think I flew home like March 13th. Uh, and the drummer did it. He, he flew home right after me. So that was a Friday night. Yeah. So we, we, yeah. we flew home and we did it, you know, um, uh, and then, you know, then he, cause we were planning on touring in the summer. We had festivals lined up. We were planning to get this record out. And then, uh, KK was able, well, then it was not going to happen. Cause you're not here's The reason why it was really delayed even more for us was you're a new band. We didn't even have band photos. We couldn't even get together. You know what I mean? It's like, it's really different with us. So he started living with the songs and we started changing a few things. And luckily in my home studio, like the song sermons of the center was originally a lot raspier. Like the verses were raspy and heavier, like ballsier. And KK was like, man, why don't you try uh, singing it cleaner, high notes that are cleaner? Try it this way once. And uh, so I went in and redid the verses. You know, I redid some lines on other songs and, and uh, you know, he would change songs around and, and it let him live with the songs longer and, and really make them even more his. Uh, but it, it's, challenge was everybody's like hey why what Les Binks was supposed to do it you guys lied to us no we didn't lie he was gonna do it we were and then uh when we can't tell you anything until the record comes out you know you don't start doing advertisements until you know the records come out so 
Uh, Les couldn't do it at the last second. We got someone else. And then before we put the record for sale, we told people Les wasn't able to do it. <clears throat> and uh, so we just, we got really hit hard with, with, with the, the COVID thing because we were all ready to really get this thing going, you know? And uh, once it hit, there's no, there was no more talk about it because we can't, there's nothing to say. I mean, professionals are in this game realize when you're at that level, you don't do interviews all year long. Like when, if you guys would now, usually I do do this when it's my other stuff, but if somebody calls you and says, Hey, can you do an interview? If you're not pushing a record, you need to wait until the record comes closer to being out, you know, like we're doing now. So it, it really changed everything and what was going on, you know, and the label's like, man, we're not putting it out now. I mean, you guys can't even get together and you can't tour and get together. So we're not putting it out. You know, but at the same time, you were also working on uh, three tremors, right? Yeah. yeah. So you so during the so during lockdowns and quarantine, you were incredibly busy working on the, you know the rewriting and redoing the KK stuff, and you were also doing tremors as well. Yeah, I did a three tremors record. I uh, did the vocals on that. I did a band called Pyramid. I actually have a record coming out with this band. It's a prog metal band called Pyramid and actually recorded a whole other record for them. The release went down the road since I was off. I recorded songs for the Leviathan Project, which has about five songs I wrote with this with a, with some guys. And then I record, like I said, for songs for people all over the world, one or two songs a week at least. But I the, the Three Tremors record is going to be great and it's exciting to do a, a follow-up to the last one. Uh, this This record's even better. Um, not as crazy as the first one. And uh, it's great. You know, it's, it's, listen, it's, it's that type of metal people. It's over the top stuff. You know, the artwork, the album artwork is fantastic, but it's over the top heavy metal. Like we got in the eighties, you know I mean? Like this, this crazy artwork and these songs, people are like, man, that's, that's, that's uh, crazy stuff, man. That's like eighties. I'm like, well, that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, it's only, this isn't for your, for, you know, certain people. You know, this is don't, you know, this is for a genre of type of people that like this kind of music. It's, you know, a new revenge. When I did a, a new revenge, that record is for heavy metal people, hard rock people, rock people, grandparents, kids in high school. You know, it's kind of the ones that I could play someone like if somebody comes to my house and they've never heard me, I don't usually throw on a three tremor song. <laughs> you know, I usually throw on a, a, new, a new revenge song, you know, or I throw show them that video because it's straightforward rock, you know. Right. So uh, since it's going to be geared for like a specific audience, uh, is there going to be uh, vinyl copies as well? Oh, God. Yeah. You know, Sean likes to do all this stuff. Uh, vinyl is it, man. I mean, the, the, yes, that's what's delayed. I, and I'm certain that's what's delayed KK's Priest record is the, the demand for the record was more than they thought. And nowadays it's hard to get people to work. Work. And right. uh, vinyl is way behind. Speaking of getting people to work, I took my girlfriend's daughter and her and her friend. They're both special needs. And I, they wanted to go to Sonic. Too. This, is fun. this is how the world is. I took them to Sonic. They wanted to go to Sonic. Her, it's her best friend. She's 21 now. And, and he moved to Florida and he came back on vacation. I took him to Sonic and I pull up to Sonic and it says on the thing, now, uh, because of staffing issues, the drive-thru is only open. This is a restaurant that's a pull up and get food. It takes two people. They can't even get people to work at Sonic. That's the whole point of Sonic is it's a drive up restaurant. You drive 
you park and they bring food to your car. This place, they can't even get workers. That's I just had to go on a, on a that just tries. No, me. dude, I, 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 I feel you because first of all, there's a Sonic less than a, a half mile away from my house. And uh, my, my wife is a she's a veterinarian and owns her own practice. And one of the problems that they have is staffing, you know, because they they need people around the clock to take care for the animals. So, yeah, man, it, it, it's a problem all over the place. Um, maybe they can get but, all these. Um, maybe they can get all the animal activists bitching online all the time to come get a job there. <laughs> yeah, when if you get, if the animal activists are going to do anything, they should start with uh, the White House after they left sixty fucking bomb sniffing dogs in uh, Kabul Airport. That that that's the first place they should start with. Yeah, they they'll no, nah, but they'll figure out that you know you know that you know how that rolls. They don't want to go too much into that. They'll figure out a way out of that. They they'll lie about it like they always do. But listen. Uh, the, there's a problem with people working so they can't get the vinyls made. Vinyls are taking three trimmers. He's like, man, it's like nine months to get our vinyls. I mean, it's the most amazing thing ever. Well, there's some vinyl companies that you can get it for, but it's, you know, cheap, cheaply made vinyls that they're probably paying somebody 75 cents an hour. Probably the same person that makes uh, LeBron James's tennis shoes is probably making vinyls as well. And it takes you know, eight months to get them or something. So it's, uh, everything's behind. So, um, we'll have vinyl on everything, man. I mean, vinyl, people love vinyl now. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, also the vinyl uh, sound now is a lot different than the vinyl we had when we yeah. were growing up. Yeah. And the course reflects it as well. Um, so we, so you're in all these, where do you find the time to, you know, to to handle this like intense rehearsal schedule. Well, it's crazy. I mean, listen, if I had a little more time, I'd get a job at Sonic. But since I can't find the time, <laughs> um, yeah, it, you know what? Listen, it keeps me busy. Here's the issue: if if I was touring, uh, like I usually do, then I I you know I would spot things a little more. Like I wouldn't be doing. I probably wouldn't have had time to do the Pyramid record or all all these other 50 rec songs I did this year for other people because I'm touring, making my money. I got lucky and that that's even busier because I'm not even home. So, uh, you know, I just, you know, singing in a studio helps me keep up with my, my voice. I need to actually rest it at some point though. Cause you know, my voice isn't the same as it used to be. And I keep saying all the time, I need to take a month off and not talk and not do anything. But then I also got to pay the electric bill and the, and the, and the bill. So yeah, that's how I make money, you know, and uh, having Rip Rowan's deliver your Uber Eats doesn't really look that, that well for, for me in the music career. So I, I have to keep singing. Damn, listen, I, I could talk to you for another 40 minutes, but we got to wrap this up. So uh, bef- before I let you go, uh, two questions. Yes. One, how good of a guy is Rudy Sazo? Oh, he's, he's the best, man. Rudy, I, when I first met Rudy, he was playing, I think that time he was playing bass with Ronnie. And uh, I was playing, it was a festival. I, I know it was the first time. It was a festival in Germany, a rock hard festival, I think. And uh, I was playing with Beyond Fear. And our dressing room, because we were on in, in the middle of the day, uh, became Dio's dressing room. So all of a sudden, the, 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 the festival comes and says, okay, you guys are all out. You're kicked out of here. This is becoming deals. I'm like, oh, shit, man. We, we're going to be, what are we going to do all day? And uh, 
Ronnie comes around the corner and says, hey, you guys just stay. You guys can share our dressing room. You know, you're all right. Just share it with us. And then here comes Rudy. I'm like, fuck, it's Rudy Sarzo. And he's like, Ripper, how are you? I'm Rudy. I'm like, dude. And we became great friends. And he treats everybody the same. And then when I did Project Rock, which became a new revenge, Rudy was in Project Rock. And we would tour through Russia and come and travel through Siberia on the on the Siberian Railroad. And we would get in the car like at one in the morning and be on there for like 24 hours. And they would always put me in the room with Rudy. We'd share a room because the other guys would drink at night. Rudy doesn't drink. And I'm a very light drinker. I hardly ever drink. So they would always put Rudy and I together and we would just sit back and I would, he, I would hear his stories, you know, whether it was about his family. Uh, and I would ask, I would ask stuff and, you know, about his family and coming from Cuba and, and all the stuff and uh, how great America is and, you know, how he was able to come here and, and then, you know, Aussie stories and, the, and just, I mean, and the guy's like, he's like your best buddy. You know what, though? And that's what was and Ronnie Dio is the same way. Ronnie Dio was the first big artist besides his priest that went out of his way to have me get backstage and meet him and tell me that Ripper, you're, I'm like, man, I always, he goes, man, you're just like me now. You're one of us. You're just like me. And that dude treated me and gave me his phone number. Here's my number. Call me in. I'm like, holy shit, man. And and that's, you know, p- good people. They, they get the energy from that. You know, Wendy Dio is her energy is unbelievable what she does for people. And that's why Rudy's still always around. I mean, Rudy is top, top class, man. He is an awesome dude. And married to the same woman for like oh, 30 years, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So last thing before I let you go, uh, you're from, you're from Akron. Um, who do you root for? Are you, are you a Browns fan? Are you, uh, I, I don't know if we can say Indians fan anymore. Are you a, a, a Cavaliers fan? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> My first tattoo. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I just love sports. Uh, I will root for the Browns. I didn't root from the year that they're running back. Uh, posted a picture of, of somebody slicing the throat of, of a police officer, and then they started him as a running back. I didn't, I didn't root for him then. Oh, um, that was uh, Isaiah. Uh, uh, he, he, yeah, he Crowell. wound up coming to the Jets. And you know what? I'm nothing against the dude. They should have cut him and then let him go Agreed. somewhere else and 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 you know do his thing. So I, I actually, everybody does stupid stuff, right? So I was just like, the Browns need to cut their ties because if. If if it was reversed and he did someone did the opposite kind of a stuff, they would be, you know, ostracized and oppressed. But I'm a sports fan in general. Love and I'm a homer. So I go for Browns and and you know, Indians and Cavs and Ohio State Ohio State Buckeyes, big big college football fan. Opening tonight against Minnesota. Yeah. And I forgot. And I was just driving down the road and I all of a sudden they said Ohio State tonight. I'm like, oh dude, I love watching sports. You know what's weird? I love watching golf. How weird is that, man? It's I weird. love it's weird. I, nowadays, um, it's like I don't hole. know, man. But you know, well, I, I, uh, I might try that next. I haven't watched that as much. That might be the Olympics next time, so I'll do it. Yeah, that I love watching throwing. sports. Well, that was good. If maybe they could throw it at the, you know, um, I, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. So, uh, I know I've got about five blabbermouth headlines on this already. So, <laughs> dude, it's so so nice talking to you, really, man. Uh, you know, thank you for taking the time out of your day 
and and chatting with us for for 45 minutes. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can get you back again uh, sometime. And if when when you're in New York, you hey, know, let us know. You know, we'd love to see you. And we'll Where's promote the other as much guys? as we he can. In a ditch or something? Where the hell did he did he wreck? <laughs> yeah, maybe he drove off the side. I don't know. He he, uh, you know he, he was like? here he's and, like and fucking just, Ripper's not well, even saying anything to me. I'm. You know what he's doing? He's in Sonic Drive Through right now because he can't get service sitting there, so he has to sit. Maybe, but he's—I know he's a huge fan well, of next, yours as hey, well. Let's so, do this uh, again. Yeah, we, just we, give me a shout. You can get a hold of me. Uh, Don's got my my personal information as well. But just get a hold of me on the side, um, and we'll we'll finish this. And when he's done eating his foot long hot dog from Sonic, he can get on board too. We'll do it. Down the road. Sounds good. Hey, give me a shout and let's do this again. And uh, you know, we'll get we'll get in more trouble. Sounds good. Tim, I wish Ohio State the best tonight. I wish uh, yes. your Browns. I think I think they'll win in the division. And I wish you uh, the best in, in in your several bands and careers. And you've had an amazing career and a great story. And again, we take we really appreciate you taking the time out. Thank you, man. All right, man. Thanks, buddy. Thank right. you. Be well. See ya.